The Cincinnati Bengals did a lot of things differently on offense against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm joined by Mike Santagata to dig into those differences and what they can keep when Joe Burrow eventually returns to this offense next year. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lesko, joined today by Mike Santagata at Bengals underscore Sands, one of the hosts of the Always Game Day in Cincinnati podcast. We're going to break down some of the observations from Monday Night Football, including offensive scheme differences, including Jake Browning's level of play, including what's going on with the young players, what's going on with the linebackers. Today's episode, which you can find on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcast, is sponsored by Prize Picks. Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use promo code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. And Mike, let's get right into the offense. We certainly need to talk about the defense and DJ Reader, which – is a faux pas by myself last night on the post-game show. We will get there. Let's start with Jake Browning. How sustainable is this offense? Is this approach? Is Jake Browning? Maybe he's not completing 85% of his passes for 300 yards, but with the differences, with the changes, do you think this is something that they can carry forward, or do you think it was matchup dependent, or what do you think? I think... It feels less like the Brandon Allen Houston Texans game because that was a lot of Brandon Allen throwing heat checks all over the field and a bunch of bombs to every receiver on the team. And then, you know, when Brandon Allen's not completing his deep ball anymore, kind of went away. Um, this felt more like Browning was getting the stuff he's comfortable with and working within the structure of the offense. Yeah, you had the big go ball, but it wasn't a ton of just big plays that carried that performance. It was a lot of stuff that worked underneath and he was working, he was working concepts and getting, he got to the backside dig the, uh, he worked the high lows I saw him one time get to the backside tickets. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you remember, but uh, worked some high lows. He worked some RPOs and whatnot. It felt like Browning was under control in this game. And yes, he was on a heater and you don't complete what almost 90% of your passes if you're not. But even if that regresses a little bit and he is not, you know, the next whoever, <laughs> uh, then I feel like there's still a somewhat level of sustainability that I think he shouldn't go back down to that Steelers game because I think that compounded with him not being comfortable with the stuff he was running. This feels more like they found the stuff that he's most comfortable with running and that he's best at doing. And, and were you watching the Manning cast or were you watching the Joe Buck cast? Manning cast, for sure. So you heard Eli Manning talking about Yes, his conversation with Jake Browning this week. And for anyone who didn't watch the Manning cast, Eli was talking, essentially saying outright that Jake Browning kind of had a realization in the coaching staff together. They communicated about it. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not Joe Burrow, believe it or not. Who would have thunk? We have the same initials. I wear his number upside down, but I'm not quite Joe Burrow. And what I mean by that is like he's not comfortable and empty. 
the way Joe Burrow loves to be an empty. He likes that play-action boot game a lot, and he's good at it. That's going to continue to be part of the offense. The screen game was a huge part of the offense, and they realized that, okay, we do, in fact, need to make things easier for Jake Browning. And there was a communication between the coaching staff and quarterback this week that led to many changes. Now, are we going to get this level of accuracy from Jake Browning every week where he could have been 34 for 37? He had a couple of drops sprinkled in for his 32 of 37 game and have a completion percentage uh, of overexpected of 19.9? Eh, maybe not. Maybe maybe you don't get the, the gaudy completion percentages every week. And he was very accurate. Jamar Chase did bail him out on probably one or two throws that weren't perfectly accurate. But the accuracy, if he can sustain that and continue to be on time, great. That means that you actually have a pretty high ceiling for this offense, especially if they can keep running the ball. And that's mm-hmm. a big part of it too, right? They they actually leaned into the run this week. I, still kind of crazy that they only ran the ball eight times last week, given – limited amount of plays, but it worked. It, they, they ran it well, and that makes it much easier to stick with, and it lets you build everything off of those run concepts. Yeah, I think the running it well was twofold, too, because, yes, that put fear into the defense of, like, okay, we actually have to stop the run. I mean, when you look at it, they – it felt like they – I guess only of, what, 43% success rate on run plays, I thought it was going to be higher because it felt like a lot of them were just, well, if it remember that some of that was at least three of those, which brings it down considerably, I think like are yeah. an end of the game. They're just running to kill clock before they kick a field goal. Yeah. It felt like a very successful. And when Nixon was in there, it felt like last year where the run game was able to just keep churning and always put them ahead of the sticks and able to keep the offense on schedule. Whereas in the Steelers game, there wasn't a single run that kept them on schedule. Um, You add in the explosive element of Chase Brown. I thought it was really interesting how they used him and how they attacked this 49ers defense because it was a lot of punishing the ends for getting upfield, whether that was – you're thinking 49ers for Jaguars. Oh, I know why I think you're thinking 49ers. Jaguars. Because that's what they did to the 49ers. That's right. <laughs> it's a similar game plan from uh, Frank Pollock in the run game where uh, Josh Allen gets upfield or whoever is getting upfield because Jaguars are teaching those guys, get penetration. That's going to kill run plays, et cetera, et cetera. That's how some guys believe. And as Rod Marinelli made a career off of teaching his guys to so just fire off the ball and get upfield. Well, they're firing off the ball, they're getting upfield, and then the Bengals are getting the plays that attack that, whether that's that same side toss play or that's the kind of inside zone bend play or whatever they want to, whatever you call it, whatever anybody wants to call it, windback-ish. But it's not really windback so you can get that motion blocker. So it's designed to look like it's just going to, I'm handing this off to the right, and immediately the running back is going to stop, go left, because the whole play is basically get that end up field and then just have the tight end go get in his way. And he doesn't have to make a heck of a block there. He just really has to go get in that guy's way. And I think Drew Sample, when they did this against the 49ers, Nick Bosa laid into him, <laughs> like frustration hit of just like, I can't believe they got me. <laughs> and he he had to eat that. But they ran that a few times. I think all of Chase Brown's big runs came on that. And I think that helps in two ways. One, like I just talked about with attacking the end. But two, that's a very defined play for the running back. Of He doesn't have to 
have an issue with the speed of the game and processing and like, okay, I got to start in the A gap and notice the linebackers and the flow, whatever else. I know what I'm doing here. I'm going to tempo this correctly so I can maybe get the linebackers going one way, but I'm going back. I'm going to the backside. And that's kind of like a gap run, which he was really good at in college. So I appreciated that game plan. And I think there was some other stuff in there, some of the RPO stuff. I thought they changed the RPO a little bit yeah. where, yeah, with Burrow a lot of the year and with Browning last week, every RPO was essentially just a, a screen, on the other, like a smoke, an alert. Just if you get it off coverage, just go throw that and let your guy go pick up five yards. Now they're working those second level RPOs where they're glance routes yeah. or stick routes. And now you're challenged, you're putting that linebacker in a conflict of I'm looking like I'm handing it off. Okay. You stepped up easy glance route. And I think that helps everybody involved because they definitely put the fear of the run game into the Jaguars. Uh, you could see that. I think the best example is on the third and one, third and two, when Jamar Chase is singled up on the outside, a little bit of what is going on with the coverage there. On yeah. the, on the and, and Browning said that too. It looks like a bust. Yeah, but that's on the three wide receiver side to me because I felt like they were still trying to get in single high. Like I didn't think yeah. they were trying to get a guy over top of Chase because nobody went sprinting that way. So they busted, but they busted to the area nobody really <laughs> cared about because of the 76 yard touchdown on the other side where it wasn't busted, but you got that single high look and they actually were able to take advantage of it. I think some of that also goes, gives some credit to T2 because the Steelers kind of gave those looks once in a while, but it felt like they also got Browning and they kind of gave Chase a little bit more attention than the Jaguars were able to do yeah. in this game because of all the weapons healthy on the field for this game. So all of that said, um, I we'll think talk about yeah. what they can keep. I have a couple <laughs> thoughts on Chase Brown really quick as we get to some of the young player performance review. We'll get to some of those thoughts here coming up next. Today's episode of Locked On Bengals is sponsored by Skylight Frame. If you've got family members living far away and you want to have an easy way to share photos, you can even surprise them by loading the photos directly to the frame and preloading them. Skylight Frame, a digital photo frame, is for you. It's really easy to just send photos from your phone. You can preload photos before the box is opened if you're getting it for a gift and you can have a special set of photos for whoever the special someone is you're getting the frame for, whether it's grandparents to see the grandkids, whether it's new parents that are your friends. All of my friends are having kids at this time in my life. Maybe that's true for you too. Setup takes less than 60 seconds, and the touchscreen makes it easy to swipe through photos with a satisfaction guarantee for free 120-day returns. They're very confident in their product. And as a limited time offer for our listeners, you can get $15 off your purchase at Skylight Frame dot com slash locked on that's s-k-y-l-i-g-h-t-f-r-a-m-e dot com slash locked on again skylightframe.com slash locked on for $15 off your purchase mike i have some quick thoughts on chase brown i want to sneak in before we talk about the pieces they can keep in the game plan both this year and in the future and something they can incorporate more but i, I was impressed with chase brown's wiggle he Going into this game, I thought it was going to be more of a, if you can get him into the open field and he can get downfield, he can he can get loose. And he did a little bit of that. But he also ran through some arm tackles, which is not something that we saw a ton of in the preseason. Saw a little bit of that in the third preseason game. And we saw him with a little bit of wiggle, a little bit of that shiftiness. And that was not something that I had seen as much from Chase Brown on tape. So nice to see that showing up and pleasantly surprised with that element of his game. The explosion was expected 
nice that he was able to hit some of those runs and bring that element and give them confidence, hopefully going forward here, that they can have a bit of a two-headed monster, a two-headed running attack with Mixon being more efficient, the veteran guy who's going to be able to run some of the more complicated stuff, maybe better in short yardage situations. And then Chase Brown, in addition to that, 11 snaps apparently and nine carries for Chase Brown, which is quite a, a ratio for the young running back. But we talked a lot about what they did differently. You know, they, they did some more boot than they normally do. They incorporated, I think, more gap running than they normally do. They did no empty snaps at all. Zero snaps and empty for the Cincinnati Bengals, which might be the first time they've done that since Joe Burrow got to Cincinnati. Uh, we'll need to fact check that. But what do you think they should keep? What elements do you think are, are elements that both for Browning and for Burrow we should see more of going forward? I thought they did their best job of sequencing the pet play action game with the run game where they <clears> – <throat> run a motion and they always run out of this they motion wide receiver in he's basically inside the tight end in the right in the c gap between the tackle and the tight end he's sitting there and they always run out of that usually duo but uh they run a play action play off that a boot and they end up releasing that tight end or that wide receiver around the outside of the tight end he gets a feel that's front or when he makes a big catch and they ran a wide zone look off of it, but you could run do a look off of that. You could run other stuff off of that. And then you don't have as much of a tell when you do want to motion that wide receiver in because you have to dig a guy out with the wide receiver uh, when you're running duo, which is typically what they're doing there. Um, also thought that the second level RPO stuff, absolutely throw that into Burrow because yeah. I am not hundred percent sure why they don't more often. It feels like the RPOs are kind of, just access stuff with burrow and i i've wondered about that too because they do often have that there there is some stuff downfield but burrow tended to throw the access stuff so i I wonder if there's a stylistic difference between the quarterbacks there or or what it is because burrow was very successful on downfield rpo stuff at lsu where there are different rules for linemen getting downfield and stuff like that you can get like you should still be able to do it and we saw them do it. They hit glance in the red zone to T. So um, I, I agree 100% with that one. It's something that I would like to see more. Yeah. And I think that this diverse run game, it feels like it comes out once in a while. But that can also go – like just find Burrow some of these easy buttons you gave Browning. And I don't think that this was – you know, a 101 type quarter, like you could drop in any quarterback and they do okay in, in that game. I do think Browning deserves credit because there were plays where there were high-low concepts, straight dropbacks, yep. and other stuff that he was able to process and get through and work. But, you know, Burroughs and like that PhD, everything is difficult offense. And I don't think it's hero ball. I think it's just a lot of the stuff Burrow likes is also hard. So why don't we just take it, just make it, just a little bit easier. Sometimes and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to always be that way. Right. I I just you know it just let's add an easy button or you know let's add something that just makes makes life a little bit easier on the quarterback. Maybe give him some plays off. Just turn the brain off. Not every play needs him to think really hard. Let's just let's just run a run it run and it's going to work yeah. because we know it's going to work. Um, I also think. It's also worth putting the grain of salt in this. Uh, yes. A defense is going to play Jake Browning much, much differently than they will play Joe Burrow. And 
if you, I think it should be easier on the run game to be efficient when Burrow's in there. But that's also because the defense is going to sell out to stop the pass. Like, I don't, I don't think if Burrow's in there, no matter how good the run game's doing, they get in that single high look and try to, and they end up having a bust on the other side because they're trying to disguise something and show a blitz. I don't think they're doing any of that. I think they're going to cloud Jamar or at least play two man to that side and just, you know, we are, take the first down. It feels like that's fairly often happens of a defense just kind of going, okay, you can take the first down here, but you know, you're not scoring. You're not going to get a big play. We'll right. stop you on the next set. So I think there is that grain of salt you have to toss in there because the idea that just an effective run game is going to allow Burrow to get all these advantageous looks. I'm not sure that works unless it's a very, very effective run yeah, game. I mean, not just like a, an effective run game. You talk about Miami's run game, the Devin Achan run, run game. Where you're averaging eight yards per and carry, most are, yeah, all those guys, every speed, every track star at Miami yeah. averaging if, eight yards a carry, then you have to actually get up there and defend it. If every skill guy on your team runs sub four three, then you can do whatever you want, uh, and and defenses are going to be on their heels. The Bengals don't have that, obviously, but we did see a few things that that I think they can incorporate for Burrow, um, and, and it, it makes you wonder why they don't. Uh, you know, you talk about the San Francisco game where, you know, they, they attack similarly in the run game. That was probably their best offensive game of the season. What um, One of Burrow's better games this season, maybe not his best, but maybe it was his best. I, I can't even remember now. It's so long ago. Um, but I, I watched that game again today, and it's, it's so different than what they're doing for Browning. And that's where you have to strike the balance of, letting Joe Burrow do the things he does well because that's going to continue to be very effective and then finding the right time to say, okay, let's get the screen game going where the screens were very effective for the Bengals in this game. Okay, let's find the right time to run that boot where if you remember last year, it felt like every time the Bengals did boot Joe Burrow, that backside defensive end was like, no respect for the running game. I'm just going to go hit the quarterback. And it felt like Joe was taking hits on that constantly. That did happen the one time to Browning and he turned around, saw him there. And he was, that was probably Browning. It's so dumb to call this his best play for like a three yard game, but it was a really good, it was a really good play though, to be able to just see that immediately flip the hips, toss it out there and get positive yards instead of taking the sack. That was, that was great. Not as, not maybe not his best play, but that's overselling it, but it was, it was up there. Oh, top five, top five throws. It was top five. I mean, it was a very impressive play, but he had some throws in the intermediate part of the field, layering yeah. them over second le- level defenders to Drew Sample and to Jamar Chase. One of them was look- Jamar Chase circus catch, but like, those are both really good throws. He made that look too easy. Boyd thought he could do it. Yeah. I don't, Boyd must just have never seen. He kind of wow. resets. Yeah, I don't know. Those were not the best play calls. They were horrendously (laughs) executed. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, Let's talk about some of the other young players here, Mike. As I thought the offensive game plan was great in that game, a lot of people really don't like how the game started. They don't like the trick plays, and there's certainly things they can do better. Uh, But also, both of those trick plays, had they been executed better, were there. So there's that you know, two sides of it where the wide receivers really didn't execute for different reasons. Well, let's check in on the young players and talk about the defense, including the linebackers and make sure we get that DJ reader shout out there to finish the show coming up next.
This episode is sponsored by Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers instead of thousands of other players, the pros and the sharks, the computer warriors. You pick more or less on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in when you nail it and you're just picking against those projections. You can go cross sports with the NBA and NFL going on right now. You can play community plays. You can get rebooted plays with the insurance policy on players that get injured. And better than all of that, you can get those entries in so fast and get a $100 instant deposit match on your first deposit at prizepicks.com slash NFL with promo code Locked on NFL. Again, that's for a first deposit match up to $100 at prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and promo code locked on NFL with prizepicks. The fantasy sports made easy. This episode also brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. And after the Bengals win on Monday Night Football, FanDuel isn't sure what to do with the Bengals' win total as of the time of recording, but the line against the Colts is very narrow. The Bengals entering that game as home underdogs of one and a half points. So if you're confident in Jake Browning after his performance on Monday Night Football in Week 13, you can get a $150 bonus bet credit with any winning $5 money line bet. So if that's the Bengals to win on the money line against the Colts, there you go. 150 bonus bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining a FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. It's so easy to use for spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get into the NFL season. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. Mike, let's get to the defense. Let's start out with the DJ Reader shout out, and then we'll get to what's going on with the linebackers and some young player report cards, grades, performance reviews, whatever you want to call it. But DJ Reader. Uh, I mentioned a bunch of guys on the defensive line that I thought had nice games yesterday. Didn't mention DJ and, and, and Mike Hilton. Uh, and it's always nice, by the way, when when you shout out guys from watching live and then PFF grades align with your eye test and the top graded Bengals were DJ Reader, who I missed. That's on me. Uh, but Mike Hilton, Joseph Osai, Jordan Battle, Trey Hendrickson, all grading pretty well. Uh, but DJ, six pressures according to PFF and four run stops. Had a couple tackles for loss in there as well. Blew up some plays. The guy's having a great year. And it's too bad that it's it's going to get lost a little bit you know, on a defense that has been playing very well. But DJ Reader is always going to get his flowers on this podcast, even if they are somewhat belated. On the other side, Mike, what did you think about the linebackers? I thought C.J. Beathard really picked on them in the two-minute drive to go tie the game at the end of regulation. They have been under scrutiny in recent weeks. What's your assessment of the way Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson in particular play? Not not great. Uh, and they haven't really been great all year. I feel like it's been but frustrating. Why? Like what's going on? Why? What's, yeah. what's different? Okay, so I think you could I think it's fair if somebody wants to attribute the surroundings to them because the front isn't playing as good as it was last year, what's happening in front of them, especially when the two defensive tackles go out and the back is not as good as it was last year. So they're sandwiched between two areas that got worse, but they still should be able to provide a steady force there. But I mean Peterson at one point he got to the play that Andy Reid will get to. 
maybe they still talk because and it's simple. It's literally it's one of the things is just can you get Wilson checked with the linebacker and then essentially just run him a free like a speed release flat, just a burst flat go. And Wilson can't keep up. Reed has done that with McKinnon the past two years, I think in both championship games. And you got a touchdown out of one, you got a big play out of the other. If you can get that check and you can make sure that, okay, we've got man, I've got a very easy man beater. It's just Wilson doesn't have the feet to keep up with this running back and ETN. ETN's extremely fast. He's super athletic. So I think that was the, that was probably the biggest play, wasn't it? The, just a little dump off to ETN. He ran up the sideline. I mean, they were everything was over the middle of the field. I feel like Engram might have gotten involved. I could pull up the drive play by play, and we could get yeah. into some specifics. But Etienne was definitely the the big one that stands out. But it felt like every throw in that two minute drill was over the middle of the field at the second level. Yeah, and the other part that's weird is both guys were extremely good last year when they dropped spot drop vision coverage into zones, and this year just hasn't been there. You could think of this week with Ingram, sure. I think of last week. Tampa too. And Logan Wilson's the guy down the pipe. Firemuth is able to run past him and get a, yeah. an explosive play. And Which would that have happened last year? I, I it maybe some of this is like luck, small sample, whatever, but it's just would it have even happened earlier this year? Because like Wilson started the year, he had four didn't he have a bunch of picks? Is it was four four is maybe too many, but it felt like he was getting those those, you know, Madden would call them the the lurks where he's under <laughs> underneath it. And he's had some good plays as the Tampa two runner too. So um, it, it seems like it's a little bit more recent than the whole year, but certainly like the last four weeks, it's it's been very apparent. And to talk about Pratt, my main issue I've seen with him, I think is actually in the run game where last year he took these run throughs, which is the offensive line creates an opening linebacker, just fire through it and go make a tackle for a loss. He keeps firing through it and the running back just outruns him and gets to the edge. And now it's okay. Well, now we're down a guy. Instead of making that tackle for a loss, this turns into a big play, and the safeties have to get involved. Those are gambles, but it almost feels like almost none of them have worked compared to last year. They were unstoppable. That was one of Pratt's. It felt like every week he was going to get a run through for a tackle for a loss, or you know at least make a run stop or make the running back have to run to help, not away from help in that scenario. So I think that's also been an issue. So. The, the linebackers, like you said, they've they're, they've been a concern this year. And I guess you didn't exactly say that, but I, I do. I, I think they've been a concern this year. And I, I don't know how concerned you could be for next year because I feel like they both have shown the past two years that they are good players. But like you said, what's going on? And I, I'm trying to explain what I'm seeing, what's going on. But then there's also, like I talked about that vision coverage. It's just like, they were good at that last year. Like, yeah. What is going on there? Yeah, could be could be just you know small sample size stuff. Could be regression. Could be any number of things. Maybe we should just expect positive regression next year instead of negative regression that we're getting this year. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Probably is somewhere in the middle. Let's finish with uh, some young player performance reviews. Talked about Chase Brown earlier. Was very encouraged by what he did. Didn't see a whole lot of. The wide receivers, Andre Yosevash or Charlie Jones, didn't see a whole lot of Miles Murphy. He did have one cool play on a speed option where he was the option guy and still chased down. I think it was Etienne. Etienne. It, it was Etienne. Oh. Speed option. He's the guy. He didn't give up contain. I feel like I've heard people say that. He has to play the quarterback. So yeah. he 
takes a step towards the quarterback, quarterback throws the ball to the running back, running back guy's not there. Doesn't matter. He goes and makes a tackle. <laughs> that was yeah. really cool. Pretty, pretty impressive play there. So the two guys that got a lot of them are Jordan Battle and uh DJ Turner. There's one play that Chad Johnson points out. They they maybe should have banjoed it, should have switched on a pick play that uh late in the game that leads to a big play for Evan Engram. But overall, not not the best game for DJ Turner that we've seen. Missed some of the ups and some of the up and down games we've seen from him. Still encouraged by, by Jordan Battle, though. What are your thoughts on those two guys who did get a lot of playing time in the young player category? Turner did get hosed on that one call. The the reroute that was a had. terrible call. Yeah, <laughs> that, that happens. Bad. Like I don't know, multiple. I'll tell you at least like five times a game and never gets called. So that was astounding. Um, but yeah, he also didn't play his best coverage. I thought he made. He did make that one statement tackle on the end around. That was uh, fun for him as right a small at, guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Hilton was the guy on the inside of that. I can't, you know, Mike Hilton's got to be like, oh, yeah. He's got to be pumped from that two small corners <laughs> that yeah. love hitting. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there were issues in coverage. And you look at, I was thinking this matchup might be one that he does okay in because. It's a guy that moves well. I think of that with Turner. He's a guy that moves well. So you match like body with like body. It's kind of like Cam Taylor Britt when he went up against DK Metcalf. Big body, big body. You know, that's a, that's a fun match. That's a good matchup for the corner. Um, but is what it is. I feel like with corners, it is so much of uh, you. Did, that was one with small sample of like balls thrown in the air. Does the guy make the play? Does he not make the play? Do they throw a pass interference flag? Do they not? And there's not a ton of opportunities for them in a single game. Yeah. Jordan Battle, and that felt like his first time being tested down the field. And <laughs> he went with the old cover the eyes technique. I was uh I was I was happy to see that. Uh he was in control of that play against uh Ridley. I I think he's been really good this year. And yeah. the biggest thing has been the tackling, where Nick Scott was missing multiple tackles a game sometimes. I think he probably averaged over one a game. Whereas Jordan Battle comes in and he still hasn't missed a tackle by most yeah. metrics. Very, and very good tackler. Very different. And yeah. I feel like he's done his job as a deep safety. And we finally saw him get tested. He showed some ball skills, winning at the catch point there. I it's hard not to like what you see from him. I think yeah. he's been really impressive this season. They're, and this game was no different. They're obviously asking a lot more of Dax Hill in general and not a whole lot of time to talk about him needed to catch the interception. That's the, the big uh, blemish for him, but you know, talked about the matchup opportunities for, for him with tight ends in this game. He was targeted five times, gave up five catches for 32 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think there was a first down in there as well. So not Dax Hill's best game, but the thing with all these guys is I'm still encouraged by the skill sets for all of them. What they have shown when they when they show what they can do, still pretty excited about the ceiling for those guys as they mature, as they figure out when they should be handing things off in man, and and as they get more experience, more exposure to the NFL game, pretty pretty uh, bullish on the future for the young pieces of this secondary. But they're gonna have to add. And it is going to be a very complicated offseason. But luckily, Jake Browning has given us plenty of reasons to continue to be interested in this season. As uh, the Bengals do have a path to the playoffs here. It's tough. And uh, we're going to have to talk about it. But it does exist. 
can find Mike at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter at the always game day in Cincinnati podcast. Always appreciate his insights and his time. And until next time, when we will get into our crossover with the Indianapolis Colts as we're on a short week to prepare for week 14. Thanks for listening. Who day and have a good one.